Good morning, Tri-Cities Church. Oh, gosh, it's one of those mornings. All right. Good morning. Good to be here. I'm excited to be here uh, this morning and to share this time uh, with you uh, in the scriptures and share this time with you as a community that's learning what it looks like for us to uh, walk together with the Lord in the life of faith and to be in the process of becoming more like him. I'm Wesley. I'm one of the pastors here at Tri-Cities Church. This is your first time here with us. Uh, We do welcome you. We're glad that you chose to worship with us uh, this morning. Uh, I love the fact that we had a baptism this morning, or at least two baptisms this morning, uh, because baptism is this cool thing, right? It's this thing that God said that it symbolizes the death and resurrection, not just of Jesus, but it symbolizes our own death and resurrection, that Jesus died for us so that we don't have to die, but rather we get to go and spend eternity with him in all the perfection, and that's the common hope of the church, right? Like we hope for different things in life. Like you may hope for, for one thing or another, right? You might hope for, um, you, you might hope for a stable uh, a family life, or you might hope for uh, a, a stable financial life, or you may hope for uh, health. Or you, we, we all have these different hopes as we go through life, but there's this common hope that exists within the church, right? And that hope, right, is the hope of heaven, that hope of eternity, that hope of, um, that hope of all being made well and whole with, with Jesus. So uh, if, you, if you're with us for the first time, you can on a great morning because you got a chance to see the hope that we have that as we are baptized in the Jesus we come out of the waters and, and we are secure in his uh, plan and protection for us and and that's for all eternity and so here we are a community of faith that's moving in the same direction well hey um we are in week four of this series we're simply calling suit up and this is a series through Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, we're, we're going through cha- verse 10 through verse 17. In, in fact, actually, I think we might hit verse 18 uh, there at the end. And so we have uh, two more weeks, three more weeks after this week uh, in this series um, that we're going to see uh, what it looks like for us to suit up, to put on the armor of God. The Bible says God has chosen to give us his own armor so that as we're going through the life of faith that begins at the point of baptism, like as we're going through the life of faith, We'll be protected till that day that we finally get to be with the Lord forever in absolute wholeness and perfection. And so the thing that we know and the thing we'll see this morning is that if we go through this life with the armor of God, not this, um, not, not this physical armor that we are holding up, swords, shields, helmets, breastplates, and that kind of thing, uh, shoes, but rather there are, uh, there are real um, spiritual um, elements uh, that are a part of this armor. Because we saw uh, in, in, the, in the first week of this series, or second week at least, we saw that there's the belt of truth, which is um, um, the truth that we find in Scripture. There's the breastplate of righteousness, which is God's righteousness that is for us, that covers us, and not of righteousness that we've achieved on our own. Then the last week we saw that there's these shoes of peace uh, that come from the readiness of the gospel, right? That the gospel gives us this internal peace that we can live out this life. And this week, we're looking at the shield of faith, which is a part of this armor uh, that we have as we go through uh, the Christian life. And so we're going to see how all of these things ensure um, that we're victorious over the enemy. Because as we've been seeing every week, we're not, we're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. Jesus has already won. He's already won the battle. And so here we are, we're going through this life, and it might feel like we're in a battle, like we're waging war against the enemy, but it's already won. And that's what the church has to hear, is that God has already won. We're not fighting for our life. Jesus gives us life. 
It's already won. And so here, here we are seeing this armor that God has given us that's proven to be victorious. And as long as we live it out, we will be victorious and we will reign with him, our God and our King. Well, let's pray and then we'll get into our message this morning. God, we do give you thanks this morning that you give us this opportunity to gather in this place, to open the scriptures, and to read this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. And God, we thank you that this letter that was written um, nearly 2,000 years ago has been preserved for us to read today. That the church in Ephesus read it, and now the church in East Point gets to read it. God, what a marvelous thing. That it was relevant for the church in in Ephesus, and it's relevant to the church in East Point today. God, that the same enemy was attacking the church in Ephesus, and the same enemy, that enemy, is attacking us today. But God, you've given us what we need to stand firm, to stand strong in the Lord. And so God, we celebrate here on this side, right? We celebrate here right now, not because we've reached the other side and not because we're living in perfection or not because all pain has been wiped out or not because our lives have somehow become easier or better. But we celebrate now because we believe that the victory is yours and that you've chosen to give it to us. And so we celebrate now through the eyes of faith, knowing that what was yours or what is yours is now ours in Jesus Christ. And so as we read the scripture, God, I pray that that very truth will come alive to us. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, when Paul wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus, uh, he was actually sitting in a Roman jail. Uh, and, um, and as he sat there, you know, some, some have kind of figured that one of the things he was doing is he was looking at a Roman soldier, and he was looking at the armor that that soldier had on, and he began to write this letter to the church. But as I read this letter, and the more time we stand, uh, uh, study this letter, the thing that I'm convinced of, convinced of, let's see if I can find my words this morning, uh, the thing that I'm convinced of is that Paul was writing this letter for himself just as much as he was writing it for the church, because he, he was thrown in prison for bringing a Gentile into the temple. So he brought someone who was a different racial ethnic group, somebody that the Jews said did not belong in the temple. So they said he had brought this Gentile. And you can read about this in Acts chapter 21. In fact, it's questionable whether or not he was even, whether or not he even brought this guy into the temple. But they knew that he was hanging out with the guy earlier that day. So they assumed that he brought this guy that did not belong into uh, the temple. And here Paul was thrown in prison because of that. And as he was thrown in prison because he was simply trying to do the Lord's work, He's doing a good thing, and and he's thrown in prison, and he finds himself trying to do a good thing, and he ends up being punished for it. In fact, he's not just doing a good thing. Like, he's doing God's thing. Paul is busy doing God's work. And I believe that he begins to struggle in his mind as a result of this. Like, as he sits in this prison, he's struggling even with his own faith and his own sense of calling and, and the, um, the, the, the call of God upon his life. And so, I, you know, I believe that even as he's teaching the church these truths, that he's questioning some things in his own mind. Because we read here at the end of this letter, and you'll see uh, in chapter 6, uh, verse 19, listen to what he says to the church, right? This is kind of some of his final words in this letter. He says, pray also for me, that whenever I speak words, 
Whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. And so here we have Paul, this guy that's been boldly declaring the gospel and proclaiming the gospel. He's writing to the church in Ephesus, pray for me, right? He's the minister of the church, but he's opening up, being transparent, actually being kind of vulnerable in this moment with the church and saying, I'm struggling here, right? I'm, I'm struggling. I've been fearlessly proclaiming the gospel, but now I'm thrown in prison as a result of the gospel that I've stood for, that God was saving this world. And here I am throwing my arms wide around around the world in an effort to get them to hear and know and understand the gospel. And now I'm imprisoned for this. And sometimes in our lives, we find ourselves in situations that are less than ideal when we've been doing a good thing, right? When we've been doing a godly thing. And we, we, we want or wish um, that because we're doing God's thing, that God would somehow open a door, part a sea, make a way that life would be easier for us. And what Paul's finding is that's not what God is doing. And as he struggles, he says to the church, please pray for me. And he, in fact, he's teaching the church. And I believe like, especially verse 10, where he talks, begins talking about the armor of God, he's talking to himself as much as he's talking to the church. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. He's saying this to himself, like, finally, be strong in the Lord, Paul. Finally, be strong in the Lord, church. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And so here he's declaring the gospel to himself. In fact, one of the things that I believe very firmly, and we see this over and over again, is that when we teach the the Word of God, right, teaching the Scriptures is one way of driving our faith deeper into our hearts. And so like at church, when we challenge people to sign up to teach and and be... I don't know all the roles that they have in the children's ministry, but teachers and and co-teachers down in the children's ministry downstairs, when we encourage people to sign up for that, we we don't just want you down there teaching the kids, but we know that as we live out the life of faith and as we share our faith, that somehow that works in a miraculous way to drive the truth of scriptures deeper into our hearts. And, And God even knows this, that when you go to work and you go out into the world, wherever you may find yourself, and you're sharing your faith and you're teaching the scriptures, that that works in some miraculous way to drive the truth of God deeper into our heart. It builds up our faith. And what Paul is doing here is he's both doing what he's convinced of is what God's called for his life. That is that he should be preaching and teaching and starting churches. But as he's doing that, it's driving the truth of God deeper into his heart and it's giving him this faith that's enabling him to sustain through some of the hardest and darkest moments of his life. And I think he's just a a really good example for us today. It almost pushes this question to us. Like when you're you're struggling with whether it's temptation or whether it's um, you're struggling through a a dark season in your life or whether you're struggling through this doubt in in God and in in the scriptures. Like like what do you do during those seasons? Right? Do you... um, Do you withdraw and pull back and don't tell anyone and hope that those seasons and those times will go away and find yourself sinking more and more into a dark space in life? Or do you press into the calling that God has on your life, 
right? Do you continue to do the work of the Lord? Do you continue to share your faith and talk about what God has done in your life? Do you continue to read the scriptures and be actively involved in your church? Like during those seasons of life, what do you do? Because if we find ourselves in that posture of withdrawal and stepping back and not pressing into the work that God called us to, then the, somehow the faith that God has called us to begins to go dark in our life. And here we have Paul in the darkest moment in his life, and he's pressing in, and it's building up his faith. And as it builds him up, he's able to let the test that he goes through, being in that prison, become a part of his testimony, right? We read that he was in chains, and that encourages us because we're able to say, well, Paul went through that kind of thing. And in my life, as a result of my faith, I'm never going I hope I'm never going to prison uh, <laughs> because of it. Um, but, but here's Paul saying, hey, this is what happened. This is how I kept the faith. And now we're seeing the result of that, a church that flourished incredibly. So I believe the enemy was attacking Paul in his mind. And in fact, I believe that more than anything, I believe more than anything, the devil wants to defeat you in your mind. That the devil, more than anything, wants to defeat you in your mind. Because he knows that if he can get Paul to be fearful of what God has called him to do, if he knows that he can get Paul to begin to doubt the word of God, if he can get Paul to start second-guessing his calling, then he wins because ultimately our decisions are made in our minds. And what we're seeing in this scripture and what we're seeing through Paul and his life and his transparency and his authenticity is that what the enemy will do is he will whisper stuff in your ear, right? He will say that there's an easy way than this or if God is good why is this happening to you or he will question your calling and get you to question your qualification for what God has called you to and he knows that if he can defeat you in your mind then he wins and so for Paul he's working day and night to defeat him in his mind he's in this prison and I believe Paul is hearing the voices. And he's saying, I know this isn't true, but I'm hearing the voices that are causing me to second guess my calling and my faith. And he says, pray for me that I can continue to be the bold witness for Christ that God has called me to be. And that's been sinking in for me all week this week. And so then Paul writes about the shield of faith in this, in this gospel. So he writes about the, the shield of faith. Listen to what he says, because the shield of faith, uh, it kind of directly combats the way that the enemy was attacking Paul in this moment. If you pick up in, in verse 14 in Ephesians chapter 6 that Lucas read for us, uh, in, in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 14, listen to what it says. It says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Verse 16, in addition to all this, take up the shield of 
faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And so in biblical times, uh, and I have a shield over here, so let me just go get my shield. Uh, In biblical times, Roman soldiers would have carried a shield. Uh, and their shield would have been a uh, kind of a rectangular piece of wood uh, that, that would have been a full body shield. Because as we've been seeing, they wore the breastplate of righteousness, right? And the breastplate covered the vital organs in the body. And so it would cover all the heart, the lungs, the kidneys, the stuff that's all in this area, right? So the breastplate covered all of this, and we're going to get to this helmet of salvation that would cover your, your head. But, but even with a breastplate on and, and a belt on and with a helmet on and with some sandals on, there's still a lot left to be exposed, uh, to be injured. And so Roman soldiers would carry this shield that was more like a full body shield. It was about this size, about four feet by two feet. And what they would do is when they're going off to war, they could hold it up before them, and they would usually hold it in their left hand, and they would have a sword or a spear in the right hand. And as they went into war, if you kneel down enough below it, and as you walk, you know, like this, right, you can see where you're going, but yet your whole body is protected. Because the enemy was coming with swords, he was coming with spears, and he was coming with these flaming arrows, which sound terrifying that the Bible's talking about here in this passage. All throughout the Bible, in fact, even in the Old Testament, we read about these flaming arrows that were kind of a common thing in, in war. Um, because what they would do is they would send these flaming arrows, and you would light them before you shot them. And you know how flames increase with more air. So as they're flying through the air, they become like balls of fire. And so here you have these spiky balls of fire that are flying at you. And what the Roman soldier would do is he would have his shield where if one was coming, it would cover him. And so the front line would hold their shield like this. I think we had a picture of it last week. But then those in the rear that were behind them would hold their shields like this. And so you would have the one holding the shield out and holding it. It would make this uh, almost like a covering, an enclosure that the soldiers would stand in. So that even as these flaming arrows were coming, um, they, were, they were defended. Um, they had a defense up. Now, now, the thing they learned, and I don't know, the Bible never tells us these stories, and I don't know where this, where this came from, but you know how everything kind of evolves throughout the course of time, like technology evolves. The, the thing they learned, and I imagine the first couple of times they went to war with just their shields, like, like a wooden shield, but they learned that a flaming arrow and wood didn't go good together, right? <laughs> they just turned into the ball of fire, so they were like a running ball of fire. And so one of the things they would do is that they would take their shields and they would take leather and they would soak it in water and sometimes put some other things behind it that would hold the water behind the leather and they would cover their shields with that so that when the arrow hit and penetrated, it would just sizzle in the water that was on the shield and they would ultimately defeat the enemy because they were defended from their flaming arrows that were coming at their shields. And so in this passage, Paul says to the church, he instructs them to take up your shield of faith to defeat the enemy, to extinguish the flaming arrows that the enemy is sending your way. What he's teaching us is that faith is an essential part of our spiritual armor. Like just as a Roman soldier carried a shield in front of them to defeat the enemy, so we must carry our faith in front of us in order to defeat the enemy. And the clearest definition of faith we find is in Hebrews chapter 11. This is like a classic passage, one of the more popular passages of Scripture or verses 
chapters. Actually, this is a fantastic chapter of the Bible. We're just going to read verse 1, right? Listen to what it says where it defines faith. It says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see, right? It's confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. Now, there's so many things about this passage. In fact, you could stay here for a while, but this word confidence is a compound word. It means, uh, literally, it means with trust, And so faith is living with trust. It's fully placing our hope and trust in something. So if you have faith in something, you've fully placed your hope and trust in it. You know, you always hear that analogy when talking about faith, the one of a chair. Like nobody came in here and like got down on their knees and looked and see how their chair was constructed and made sure the screws were in tight and nobody, uh, nobody checked their chair before sitting down, right? And that's, a, that's kind of a faith thing. Like when you don't check your chair before you sit down, you've learned that what chairs do is they're made and you kind of trust these engineers that have designed them that when you sit in a chair, it's going to hold you up. And so the same way we don't check our chairs to see if we, we kind of have faith in them, right? It's this trust. It's this placing the full weight of our hope in something. And so he's saying that faith is um, living with this trust. This is willingness to put the full weight of your trust um, in something. Now, um, and this is, this, this, man, this is, um, this is a, a point where we struggle, um, particularly today, Man, I, and I think I want to say more than people of the past have, um, but not a lot more. I, I hate to make it sound like, man, the world is like, it's a lot worse than it used to. Like, I'm, I don't want to make it sound like, you know, that the world is somehow so much worse than what it used to be. Because the struggles that we go through are, for the most part, the same, right? Our society isn't any really worse off than past societies. Like, we can kind of glorify um, uh, the past, but the past... <laughs> The past has some issues. Uh, let's just put it that way. <laughs> In fact, I think all the kids are going, we can talk about some of the issues of the past. But I won't go there because some of that stuff is X-rated, uh, not, not fitting for church. But there were some issues that people in the past have struggled with, right? So, so it's not that the past was any much better than it is today. They had their issues. But one of the things that I think is, is a little bit more particular to our world today that we struggle with, right, is this ideal of, um, we have so many things, whether it's technology, whether it's access to knowledge and information, right? Whether it's community and the ability to travel and have a global community that knows us and supports us and encourages us, right? We have all these things, and what we inevitably end up doing as a result of that is putting our hope, our trust, our confidence in all these different things and hope that somehow as long as I have my job and as long as I have this education, as long as I have this community, this friend circle that's around me, that maybe I'll be okay. And so we put our confidence in multiple things. That's just kind of how our culture works, right? We're constantly putting our hope and trust, our confidence in all these different things and hope that something will pan out. And so it feels particularly odd for us When the Bible says that faith is confidence, it's living with this trust, it's fully resting the weight of your trust in one thing. And in this passage it says it's resting the weight of your trust in what we hope for. Now the church 
hopes for the promises of God through Jesus Christ to be true. Now, last year we spent the whole year in the Gospel of John, so it's easy for us to keep flipping back to the Gospel of John. And so I think it would be good for us this morning to flip back to the Gospel of John and see what the promises of God are, because this is where the church rests its hope. Now, we could just sit here and read all of the Gospel of John, but I just picked out some of the more popular verses in the Gospel of John that show us what the church hopes for, what we are placing our trust in. If you look at John chapter 316, right, this is the one, right, this is the classic one um, that that seems to go, uh, like you've heard this before, right? Uh, It it almost doesn't matter where you've been in life, like you've either heard that the church believes this, or you've heard it, or you were taught by somebody when you were growing up, right? John chapter 316, listen to what it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Right? So this idea that God loves the world so much that he sent his son, Jesus, to give the world eternal life. And so our hope is that God, through Jesus Christ and our belief in him, is bringing us into this eternal life, this lasting state where death will be no more, that pain and perfection, or pain will, will be gone, perfection will reign, we will be completely whole, and we'll live with God forever, Right? And so in John, it talks about that. And Jesus later says in the Gospel of John, another one of these passages where I I just love is one of the ones that I've um, kind of stood on for a long time in my life. In John chapter 10, verse 10, it says, The thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's the devil, the enemy of man and woman, the one that seeks to uh, take us out and prevent us from trusting God. But Jesus says this, I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. That's one of the promises of God that the church puts its hope and trust in. That's one of the ones that we're called to put our full trust in, that Jesus came that we might have life and have it to the full, that in this world there's life that's available to us through Jesus Christ, and not just this fullness or abundant life right here and right now, but this fullness and abundant life that lasts for all eternity. In John chapter 14, there's another passage that Jesus teaches something similar. In John chapter 14, verse 1, listen to what he says. This is the hope that the church puts its trust in. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do you believe? You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you, right? That's a passage, we often read this one at at funeral services, but we should read it every day um, because it gives us hope for life that God Almighty has prepared a place for us and that we place our hope and trust in that truth, right? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come back, he says, and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. And then he says, you know the way to the place I am going. Then Thomas said to him, this is one of the disciples, the one that was always kind of questioning Jesus and doubting what he had to say. He said, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And then Jesus says to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And these are passages that the church for centuries has placed its hope and trust in. They've placed the full weight of their confidence in this fact that God sent Jesus Christ, his very own son, to die for our sins, that this world might be in the process of being restored, and that we might be securely positioned 
firmly in the middle of that process with this hope that that end time thing, right, that place that God is preparing, right, that eternal life, that life abundantly is ours through Jesus Christ. And so when we read in Hebrews chapter 11, when it says faith is um, confidence in what we hope for, it's confidence in the fact that we are caught up in that process that God initiated through Jesus Christ of making all things new. We're caught up in that. And there's nothing that can snatch us out of that process. That the enemy cannot remove us from that as long as we are standing as people of faith. And so what we see is that faith is this persistent hope in the promises of God that protects us for the promises of God. So it's this persistent hope that the promises of God are true, that they're right. And as long as we're having that hope and living out that hope in the promises of God, we are protected by God Almighty for the promises of God. And that the shield of faith is faith itself, that as long as we have faith in what God is doing, we are protected for, not necessarily protected from um, hardship, not necessarily protected from struggle, not necessarily pr- protected from um, the troubles and pains of this world, um, but we're protected for the promises of God. And so there's times, man, there's times, man, there's times, like, I can't say that enough. There's times that I'm like, man, it's almost like the devil is whispering that in my ear. Like, if God is good, why? Like, why is this happening? Why is our work? Why, like, what? What? Like, it's just, you know, it's almost like those pause moments where you're going, how can a good God allow this to happen? And what the Bible is teaching us over and over again is that in this world, God's not protecting us necessarily from hardship, struggle, trial, death, pain. He's not, but he's protecting us for the promises of God. So here's the church, right? The church goes through hardship, struggle, trial, pain. And ultimately, as we keep the faith through trouble, hardship, trial, pain, right, that the shield of faith has protected us for the promises of God. Because faith is this persistent hope in the promises of God that protects us for the promises of God. And so in this passage, um, with Paul in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, take up the shield of faith so that you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. He doesn't say, take up the shield of faith so that the evil one, your enemy, will realize that he's already defeated and stop shooting flaming arrows. (laughs) That would be nice. But he says, so that you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. You see, the enemy will continue to send flaming arrows your way as long as you are alive. He will continue to send trouble and trial and hardship your way as long as you are alive. In fact, the flaming arrow represents all the ways the enemy attacks us in our weakest places. He's not shooting them at your heart because your breastplate is covering that, but he's shooting them at places that are vulnerable, places that are exposed, places that will ultimately cripple you and make you fall. And ultimately, his goal is to defeat you in your mind so that you make a decision. 
Because what did we say the first week and second week and third week of this series? The devil has no power over us. He knows that he has no power over us. So he knows that if he could deceive us in our minds and get us to turn and walk away, then he wins. And he knows that's the only way he can win. And so as he's shooting these flaming arrows, and as our legs are exposed, and as our arms are exposed, and as our face is exposed, as he's shooting these flaming arrows, the only defense and only hope we have is that we continue in the faith, that we hold up the shield of faith in the face of the enemy, because that's what will protect us in the places where we remain vulnerable as we go through this life. I, I can't help thinking about, and I don't even remember all the, and I, this is just such a sidetrack, and I wasn't really planning on talking about it. Um, but there's that, there's that movie, Dumb and Dumber. Y'all, y'all know that movie? That shows a little bit, that's one of my favorite movies, by the way. It shows a little bit about um, maybe how simple I am um, or, or what kind of movies are like my taste. Um, so this is just one of my favorite movies. And there's a classic scene at the end of that movie where, um, 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 and it's, it's uh, what's the guy's name? I wasn't even thinking about talking about this. The guy, the, the, Harry, and then there's, what's the other guy's name? Lloyd, Harry and Lloyd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, we got some, some, uh, some uh, fans in here. We got some, some Dumb and Dumber fans. Harry and Lloyd, and, and Lloyd is there, and he's being, Lloyd, Lloyd is, uh, uh, which one is, yeah, Lloyd is there, and he's being held, uh, held hostage at the end of the movie. And Harry's given this gun and this bulletproof vest to kind of come into this. Remember they're in this hotel room at the very end, and he busts into the room, and he's just firing this gun all over the place, uh, and he misses. He doesn't hit anybody. And then uh, Lloyd goes, he goes, Oh, you know, after they've arrested them, the police have kind of rushed in and they've arrested them. Lloyd goes, what if he would have shot you in your face? Uh, it's one of my favorite parts of the movie because he comes in like all confident because he has his bulletproof vest on. And he doesn't realize that everything else is still exposed. And it's the same way as we go through this life. Like we can have the righteousness of God, right? We can be covering our vital organs with the righteousness of God. I shouldn't have gone there because that was just like so sidetracked. But all week, all week I was hearing this voice, this voice in my head saying, what if he shot you in your face? Like that was just on replay in my head. Uh, and, and, and that's, it's almost like there's no dub moment. Like that's always a risk. But here's the thing. I think this passage where he says, take up the shield of faith. I think, um, I think God's asking us that question. Like, what if, he, what if he shoots you in your face? Like, what if the enemy hits you in places that are left exposed? Right, you've gotten this thing that because of your faith, you're now covered with God's righteousness, but you're just walking through life as though you're impenetrable. Right, and he's saying, like, what if he shoots you in your face? You've got to have your shield of faith that covers the rest of your body as you go through life. And so here's what we see, that the greatest defense against the enemy's attacks is a robust life of faith, right? It's this robust life of faith that is alive and active. It's this pressing into the community of faith, right? That is, that is the best defense we have against the enemy. It's reading the scriptures and praying to God. It's the best defense. It's surrounding ourselves with people that can encourage us and help us during hard times and struggles in our walk of faith. It's not receding into darkness and allowing the enemy to defeat us in our mind and private spaces, but it's coming out in public, transparent and authentic, and living out this faith. It's this robust life of faith that we press into that is our greatest defense against the enemy's attacks. 
That's our shield of faith. And I feel like Paul's saying here, like, don't do like I did and retreat. Or, or don't do like I did and don't retreat. Um, but if I, a pastor, if I, a minister, if I, one that the whole church looks up to, that's what Paul is saying, can come out and say, pray for me because here's where I'm struggling. Surely you can look at the person next to you and say, pray for me because here's where I'm struggling. And I know I need faith to survive and make it through this challenge. Now, there's some struggles that are common for all of us uh, that we all go through. And what I want us to do in the time that we have left uh, is to see um, five, five things we can do uh, to use the shield of faith against uh, particular attacks of the enemy. So there's ways that the enemy pr- attacks us particularly. Like I, think, like, I think there's some things we all go through, like, um, like, like we all struggle with pride, whether we admit it or not, right? There's this, um, there's this caricature of, of pride um, that makes pride seem like it's this uh, outlandish arrogance, but there's a hidden pride that is um, um, uh, um, it's masking itself in the church, in the, and in our world, in fact, um, there's this, this trust in ourselves. There's this independence, this I don't need anybody as I go through life, which that is pride, right? To say that I don't need anybody, I don't need anybody's help, I'm strong enough. So there's this pride that we all struggle with. There are different temptations that are common to us, right? There's greed that's something that I think we all struggle with, like wanting more in this world. There's some things that are common to us. But then there are also, as we go through life, we find that there's these particular things that... Um, that are our struggles, kind of almost like the characteristic or hallmark struggles of our life. And they exist in many different, different forms. And, and, and someone else might not understand your struggle the way you do because they may not struggle with it the way that you do. Somebody else may not understand how serious the flaming arrow is that the enemy keeps shooting your way um, because the flaming arrow um, that they're ducking from and dodging from and running from is different than the flaming arrow that the enemy is shooting your way. And so we all have our particular struggles. There's all these particular attacks of the enemy. And then I think there's five things that we can see that will help us to use the shield of faith in order to defend against these attacks of the enemies. The first one is we have to identify the flaming arrow. Or we have to identify, name it, the flaming arrow. My struggle is. Let's just put a name on it. Put, put whatever that is, right? My struggle is this. I've identified it. Not it's just something that's hard for me, but it is the enemy trying to attack me, cause me to stumble and fall. Paul says here in this verse that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and power. So that is the enemy. It's not your neighbor. It's not your coworker. It's not your husband and wife. It's the enemy that's trying to get you to stumble and fall. And we have to identify it as a flaming arrow. So the first thing we have to do if ever we're going to defeat the enemy and use the shield of faith is we have to identify the flaming arrows. Second thing um, that we have to do is, and I think we got these on the slide. Let's just see. I told, uh, I told, um, I told, sorry, this is a sidetrack. I won't even go there. Um, The second thing we have to do is trust that the flaming arrow can be extinguished. Trust that the flaming arrow can be extinguished. So what this means is this, right? Um, I'm not going through my life going, this is just my weakness. This is just an area where I cannot win. 
this is just an area where, man, I just, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried. And no matter how hard I try, this is just impossible for me. So the first thing, we identify the flaming arrow, but second, we trust that the flaming arrow can be extinguished. Let's just take, for example, unforgiveness, right? The inability to forgive. And I use inability to forgive intentionally um, because, um, because sometimes when someone hurts you deep enough, it feels like you are unable to forgive them. Like no matter how badly you want to and you read the scripture and you're like, yeah, I want to, God, I want to like live this out. I want, and, and my friends have used this whole analogy, like you're on the hook, not them, and it's hurting you more than it's hurting them. And all. you can hear all that sometimes, and, but you're still like, I just can't, man, I just can't. Like they just, like they just knew, they knew that, like they knew they shouldn't have. Like that's, sometimes that's just that thing, right? And so it's this idea of like trusting that the flaming arrow can be extinguished. So it's not just identifying it, but it's saying, hey, I, can, I, can, like, I can't beat this, but it can be extinguished by the shield of faith, right? That, that I don't have to live with unforgiveness. Like, I don't have to disobey God in this way. The scriptures call us to forgive. In fact, when you go throughout all these scriptures in the Bible um, that teach us about forgiveness, you'll find that there's verse after verse, and all of them, are, are, or many of them, are reminding us of the ways that we've been forgiven, Right? That's the thing that hit me this week as I was thinking about this, and I'm like reading these verses, and I'm like, man, this is verse after verse, and it's just like, hey, you've been forgiven. Now, who are you not to forgive? Right? So there's all these different scriptures uh, that talk about this. So the third thing, though, that brings us to that point, the third thing that we have to do is we have to understand that flaming arrows can only be extinguished by the shield of faith. Right? That it's only the shield of faith. So there's, man, in our world, there's all these different techniques and all these different strategies, uh, all these different books that have been written about stuff like uh, setting yourself free and forgiving those who've hurt you, or uh, all these about living your best life and walking into um, happiness. And all, there's, there's all kinds of stuff that, that have been written that's about, here's how you can do these things. And some of these things are like biblical things, um, but... Um, But those things ultimately only serve um, to supplement our faith. They can't replace it. They, they only serve to supplement the shield of faith. So, like, there's all these different strategies about, like, maybe it's like you, you had temper and you're trying to keep calm and stop losing your temper. There's, there's different techniques that help. But ultimately, God heals and transforms the heart. Ultimately, God changes us from the inside. Ultimately, it's as we trust in the shield of faith that we're able to extinguish the flaming arrows. Ultimately, the enemy is defeated finally by the shield of faith. And so not only do we identify uh, the flaming arrow, not only do we uh, like name it and understand um, that the devil's going to continue to attack us that way, but we trust that only the shield of faith, like we only can stand on faith to be made Whole. Third thing we have to do is we have to identify scriptures, right? There are scriptures in the Bible that address this particular flaming arrow. Let's just say it's unforgiveness. And you go and you find all these scriptures in the Bible. My favorite source in the Bible for doing this is, or in, on the um, internet for doing this is BibleGateway.com. I don't know if y'all have ever been there, but it is a glorious website in a sea of other websites that are less fortunate. Um, and it's a, it is a great website that allows you to 
Search the Bible. So if you go to BibleGateway.com, you'll see a search bar, and you can type in any word, and it will pop up all the times that that word is in the Bible. And you can record those ones. So you can say, like, forgiveness. Like, I'm struggling to forgive this person. That's the flaming arrow the enemy keeps attacking me with. I know God says forgive, but somehow I'm questioning my own faith because I just can't forgive this person, and I don't feel comfortable around them, and I'm just not going to do it because it's impossible for me. And you type in the word forgive, and it begins populating and popping up all these verses that have to do with forgiveness. And you're realizing, yeah, the Bible talks about the way I'm forgiven, and God has forgiven me. And you're like, yeah, that's nice, but that doesn't help me forgive, right, even though God's forgiven me. And here's the, the final thing that I want you to see that we have to do to extinguish the flaming arrows. We have to exercise our faith by praying over those scriptures until we experience God strengthening our faith. Right? And so there's this whole process that we got to go through. We have to first name it and identify the arrow that the enemy is shooting. But we can't get to the point where we're just using the Bible like a book that's teaching us how to use our own strength and might to defeat the enemy. But we use it as a book to teach us who has already defeated the enemy. And we spend time in prayer and before the Lord, believing that he can strengthen us for the battle that is ahead of us. You see, here's what the scripture is teaching us. It's teaching us that as long as we walk through faith and live this life of faith, as long as we trust the Lord and we don't retreat, as long as we put exercise our faith, we won't be perfect, right? We won't get this thing all right. We won't make the right steps all the time. There's grace for that. Right? There's grace for the mistakes we make and the times we stumble and fall. But the Bible's saying, keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith, keep walking with the Lord, keep lifting up the shield of faith, because it is the only thing that will get you through this life. And so when you identify just the general things that everyone struggles with or the particular things that are your struggle, you lift up faith before you. You believe and trust in the Lord, and God will take you through not around the hardship. He will take you through so that you can live into the promises of God. Faith is persistent hope in the promises of God that protects us for the promises of God. And God will make sure you get there as long as you're lifting up your shield of faith. Man, the thing I loved about this series more than anything is when we get to this time in our service, where we get to the time where we get to share communion. Um, Because, um, because anytime we wage war, um, there's fear that we might lose. In fact, I was sharing with somebody yesterday. They asked me if, if what sports I played in high school. And I said, well, I didn't play any sports. And I was reminded I did play one sport. I wrestled for one year in high school. And I lost every match. <laughs> didn't wrestle a second year because I was defeated. And about halfway through the year, I went into every match going, I'm going to lose. Um, because I was living with this defeated mindset. I knew that I wasn't going to win. The thing I love about this passage is that the Bible's saying you're going to war knowing that you already win. The victory is already yours, and it's because of this. The blood that was shed on the cross, the body that was hung on the cross, in our place that defeated the biggest enemy man has ever known, which is death, 
and handed over to us life. And we get to celebrate that. So this morning, I'm going to pray. And then um, whenever you feel ready, feel free to make your way to one of these four tables and celebrate the life that is ours in Jesus Christ. Amen. And if you came prepared to give, there are buckets on the table that are for that purpose. Let's pray. God, we do give you thanks this morning that we get this opportunity to celebrate the life that is ours through Jesus Christ. God, we thank you that you came, you lived, you died. You stayed there. And then you got up. I love the fact that you stayed there so that no one could mistake the fact that you actually died. You experienced the full weight and pain of death so that we could experience the full glory of eternal life. So that as we put our hope and trust in the promises of God, we'll be protected for those promises. That this world is not our home. That this life doesn't last forever. But there's new life, abundant life that we're living into now. But one day, oh, that glorious day will be fully realized in the place you've prepared for us. God, as we break bread with one another, help us to celebrate that we're in a community that together is living into that life that's ours in Jesus Christ. Help us to celebrate through trouble and trial and hardship and struggle because we know that greater is he that is within us than he that is in the world and that the present sufferings of this world aren't worth comparing to the glory that shall be revealed because we know that our God is good through all things. It's in your son Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.